Well, I want to start talking about this week, and we're going to talk about for a couple of weeks, living the good life. You know, that's what we all want to do. We all want to live the good life. But what really is the good life? And that's what we're going to be talking about. You know, so often we think of the good life as just, you know, the really exciting things that happen in our life. And if that's the good life, then I had an amazing taste of the good life last night. You know, many of you were here and uh, the, uh, had a birthday party. I celebrated my 60th birthday this week. And uh, thank you. Thank you. And, and uh, last night, uh, my family and the, and the staff of the church and elders uh, had a birthday gathering here. And for all of you who came to that last night, thank you so much. And thank you for your, your overwhelming display of support and love last night. It, uh, it, it really was overwhelming to me to, to be here and to, to experience all that. And it was the good life. I, I, it really was. I mean, it, it was great fellowship. And, and, and my wife... Uh, uh, announced to me the like a mo- most amazing gift I've ever received in my life. Somehow she had put together and the elders joined in that and, uh, a trip. I'm a golfer, you know, to Scotland to play the old course, St. Andrew in May of 2005, you know, and I'm like, I- I'm just, you know, I'm saying, okay, Lord, I say all the time, come quickly, but let's wait till after the trip now, you know. But anyhow, I mean, you know, we look at the good life as those kind of things. And, and sometimes the good life is the American dream. You know, having a house and a dog and a cat and a family and some kids and some grandkids and, and everything going good. But, you know, the good life is not just an event. The good life is not just having wealth and, and fame because so many people who have wealth and fame aren't living the good life, are they? You know, they're living miserable lives, and they're living lives that they have to turn to drugs, and they have to turn to to all kinds of different uh, destructive behaviors to medicate the loneliness that they have. But what we're going to be talking about is not the good life that culture or money or, or fame kind of falsely offers us. We're talking about the good life that God has designed us and passionately wants us to live. We looked at a verse last week in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where God says to the nation of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Now, although in its context, that was a a promise that God made to his chosen people, Israel, but that promise resonates through Scripture and resonates now into the Christian community as we have trusted Christ and we have now become his chosen people for this generation, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter. And so I I want us first to start from this, this point. Do you really get this? Do you really understand that, that God loves you and that God does have a plan for you, and that plan is to prosper you, and that plan is to give you hope and to give you a future. That plan really is to provide for you the good life. Now, I know right now, probably all of us to one degree of another are thinking, I don't deserve that kind of life from God. I've never given God enough, and and why would God want to do that for me? Well, I don't have the answer to that question other than what the Bible tells us. And the Bible tells us, for God so loved the world, see? See, he loves us, and I don't understand it any more than you do. But the fact of the matter, and what I want you to really capture as we start this today and and go through the next week or so, I want you to really capture this idea that God does love you. He really, really does. 
And he knows everything about you. He knows your, your strong points. He knows your weak points. He knows your successes. He knows your failures. He knows it all. And in spite of that, he loves us. And he plans to prosper us. Now, there's a hitch in the thing, though. And it's not on his end. It's on our end. In order for God to do what he wants to do and to prosper us and, and to let us live this, this life plan that really characterizes what the good life really is, he needs our cooperation. See, he, he just can't give it to us. It just can't happen. We need to work with him and allow him to bring this to life in our lives. And so the psalmist, in the very first psalm, if you want to open your Bible to Psalm chapter 1 this morning, provides us a formula for living the good life, the living the life that taps into God's predisposition for us, his predisposed plan for us to bless us and to give us hope and to provide for us a future that really has purpose and really has satisfaction. Let's read that formula together. It says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Now look what he ends with. It says, whatever he does prospers. How would you really like to know that, that whatever you do in your life has a purpose and has a result, and whatever that you're doing, God will somehow prosper it and prosper you? Now, I would say that's living the good life. I don't know about you. And, and God says, now, now here's the formula for how it can become reality in your life. You know what my plan is. I, I've laid that out in Scripture many places, the plan to prosper you and give you hope in the future, but I need your cooperation. Now, he says, bless is the man. And this isn't working already. Bless is the man. Now, we're talking about bless. And the Hebrew word is ashur. This is written, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. In the original language, it's the word ashur. Now, we talk about being blessed, and I was blessed last night. I, I, I was blessed. And sometimes we say, oh, you're such a blessing to me. Or, or wow, that was such a blessing thing. What a blessed experience. But none of the, those really convey the deep meaning of the Hebrew word that is used here by the author of Psalm, probably David, saying, Ashur. What, what it really means is it's got this sense of, oh, the bountifulness or oh, the overflowing happiness. Now, I'll admit to you, I had some ashur last night. I really did. And, and what he's talking about is, is a blessedness, a, a sense of peace and a sense of security and a sense of joy like we talked about last week, the biblical sense of joy, in an overwhelming way, in an overabundant way. So what he's saying is he begins to, to unravel now this formula for living the good life. He says, now, now here's the result. Is, is the result is something that only God can give. See, money can't give me, except maybe momentarily, this overwhelming happiness. Uh, fame can't give me overwhelming happiness because I know it's fleeting. Position can't because I know position is going to end. But God says, if you follow what I'm going to teach you right now, he says, you can experience this overwhelming 
overwhelming blessedness. Now, first he says, blessed is the man who does not. Now, he's going to start this whole thing by talking about those who miss the mark. Those who will not ever experience what he wants them to experience. Who will not have that hope. Who will not have that that future. Whose way will not prosper. And he's going to say, here's what gets in the way. It's not that I don't want to do it, but here is what's going to get in the way. See, what he's going to do, the first part of this formula, talks about what not to do. How not to live. And it talks about a way of life that will actually rob us of living the good life. It's a way of life that will actually steal away this hope and this, this plan that God has to prosper us. Blessed is the man who what? Does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Now what the psalmist has laid out there is a regressive process that's always going to happen in the life of a believer, someone who really does want to serve and love God and have God's blessing in their life, that always is going to play out if he or she is not advancing in their relationship with God, who's not advancing in their understanding of God's word and not advancing in living God's way. You, know, you can't coast in this Christian life. You know, you picture yourself as, a, as, as kind of on a, a bicycle going up a hill, not a steep incline, but, but up, up a hill. And if you'd stop, there's no brakes, and the bike would just start going backwards. Well, that's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying our Christian journey is always a process. It's always in, in, a, in a process, in a progression. And so he says, now, there's something that's going to happen that's going to get in the way of, of you experiencing God's blessing if you fall into the pattern of life that he's about to describe. See, he describes this regressive process in three degrees of regressive conduct. And he uses the words walk, stand, and sit. And we're going to look at what that means. It says three degrees of, of regressive involvement, counsel, way, and seat. Three degrees of resulting evil or, or, or the opposite of the good life. And it's wicked, sinners, and mockers. And verse 1 warns us, how we are prone to turn aside from God little by little and get more and more entangled with the world and its cultures and its philosophies. See, people who have a mind for God really do have a mind for God. And it's seldom, now I wouldn't say never, but it's very rare that a person of faith will say, you know what, I'm just not going to serve God. You know what, I'm just not going to do God's way. I'm not going to do what God has told me to do. I'm just going to do it my way. Seldom that happens. I mean, you, you, you don't do that. However, we can actually end up in a place that is absolutely 180 degrees out from where God wants us and where God can bless us because we get caught up and we're about to look at. And it happens little by little. It's very subtle. And, and, you know, the, the inspiration of Scripture just jumps out in, in this first psalm because it, it's constructed in such a way that, that, that brings meaning and brings understanding to what happens to us so often. We who have a heart for God and yet we end up not experiencing that joy that should come from our relationship with Him. So he's going to break it down now. He's going to say, all right, now, now this is what often happens to people just like you and me 
Because we get caught up in this regressive process. And it's very slow, very subtle. And so today, what, what he's going to do is he's going to help us to identify where we're at. And if we are already engaged in this regressive process. So that if we are, we can identify it. And we can turn it around because we really do have a heart for God. And we want to we love and, and serve God, don't we? All right, so what's he say? He says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, the, 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 the Hebrew words that are used it really enlighten this, this little phrase, this first prohibition, this first step in this very subtle but ultimately destructive, regressive process. He says, do not walk. Now, the Hebrew word that, that is translated walk conveys the idea to go along with her, to follow a way of life. Now, in, in the context of, of the word in the original language, it, you know, it, it's not something that is premeditated. It's not like we were talking, well, I, I know what God says, but I don't want to do that. It's kind of very casual. It, it means to no premeditated, it means just kind of strolling along. You know how sometimes, that, that, that's how we live life sometimes. We're really not living life with any purpose or any really thinking. We're just kind of going through life and just strolling along, you know, taking it all in. And that really can be counterproductive. He says, so, so blessed is the man who's not just strolling along, but not just strolling along in the counsel or the viewpoint or the way of thinking and again, this is deeper than, than just kind of a, a surface level. Now, we're kind of strolling along, and we're beginning to consider or expose ourselves to a way of thinking that can ultimately begin to determine how we make decisions. So I want you to get the picture, you know. We're, we're, there's no premeditated thought of leaving God or not serving God or not loving God. You know, uh, this is a believer, this is you or me, and we're kind of just in a state in our, li our life where we're just kind of walking along and we're not really giving anything much thought and, and, and all of a sudden we're, we're opening ourselves to exposure from many different influences that can ultimately impact the way we make important decisions in our lives. It goes on, it says, in just kind of strolling along and in the viewpoint and the philosophy of the wicked. Now, we're not talking about specifically and only those who are doing evil things because that would be obvious to us. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're not going to be walking along and get, get hooked up with uh, some gang or we're not going to be walking along in the Lord and just strolling along and all of a sudden get hooked up in drugs and, and alcoholism. I mean, we're, what we're talking about is, is we're opening our mind to the suggestion of principles, viewpoints of life that ultimately can cause us to begin to make important decisions based on the way of life of those who want nothing to do with God. See, it can mean to be loose morally. They don't want anything to do with God's statutes or God's commands or God's guidelines for life. But more, it's an idea of, of to be loose from God or without him being a controlling factor in their life. How many of you know people that you work with or people in your family or your neighborhoods or even some of your friends who, who you know that, that God is not a controlling factor in their life, right? Not even a, not even a thought about it. 
And see, now, now he says, now, the first step of this destructive process, this aggressive process that's going to take us away from what God wants to do in our life, is just when we kind of get in a place of life when we're really not focusing on anything. We're just kind of strolling through life. We're in the land of numb, and we're just going around letting anything happen. All of a sudden, we're, we're beginning to open ourselves to the influences of all these people and all these philosophies and culture that is rooted in the fact that they don't want anything to do with God. They don't want to honor God. They're not anchored in God. God is not a part of their way of life, their way of thinking, or their way of acting. That's how it starts. See, it's just real subtle. Nothing premeditated. It's very casual. And then it digresses. But he's saying this, Blessed is the man or the woman who's careful not to stroll through life unwittingly embracing the viewpoint of those who do not honor God. That would be another way to say it. Now, have you been walking in the counsel of the wicked lately? Have you been walking, strolling along through life, unwittingly embracing the, the viewpoint, the philosophy, the way of life of those who really have no desire to honor God in their life? Let me ask you, when it comes time for you to make an important decision, whose advice do you seek? Who do you turn to? Are, are you turning to people who you might have friendships with or you might have associations with, alliances with, business partners with, but they are not people characterized by someone who wants God to have any kind of a controlling impact in their life at all? Is that who you're turning to for advice? Who are you turning to advice to help you to make the important decisions that you have to make? What is impacting those decisions? When it comes to you're in trouble and something, something happens, or, well, who are you turning to to pull you out of the fire? See, are you turning to those who, who really don't make God a part of their life and, and really those who don't understand Scripture and those who don't embrace the, the teachings of God? Who are you turning to in trouble? Are, are you going to the phone or are you going to the throne? Simple things like when we vote, when important issues come up that, that really challenge biblical teachings. You know, are, are we kind of going along with the tolerance and the postmodernism view of the world? or are, are, we, are we really considering how this bill, whatever is coming about, relates to Scripture and what God has already said? And does that determine how we vote? How about our leisure time? I mean, who do you invite into your mind in your times of rest, in your times of, of relaxation, in your times of, of activity? What influences do you welcome into your home? And what are they teaching you? The TV shows you watch, the movies you watch, the news programs you watch, the, 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 the periodicals you read. You know, what are you opening your mind to? See, that's this whole idea. Blessed is the man who does not. Blessed is the woman who does not. Just kind of stroll casually to life. Opening themselves and exposing themselves to the dangers of viewpoints and philosophies that ultimately might have an impact on how you make important decisions in your life. And the influence and the guiding factor is coming from a world that does not want to honor God. You see how subtle that can be? Who is impacting your worldview? 
Is it the internet? Is it your friends? Is it your coworkers? Is it television? Is it books? Who's impacting the way you think and the way you pattern your life? Paul warns believers at the church of Ephesus in his New Testament letter, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Look what he says. He says, I insist on this, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, he's not talking about Gentiles in, in, in the respect of, you know, whether you're a Gentile or Jew. He's talking to you about the unbelieving world. He's talking about the pagan world. He says, I insist that you don't follow that anymore because they're futile. Their thinking is futile. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to have a positive end to it. And so he says, as believers, we need to be careful not to be just strolling through life so casually that we open ourselves up to all of these influences that have nothing to do with honoring God, yet progressively can impact the way we decide. Now, it goes on just beyond that. The formula then says, or stand in the way of sinners. Now, you're going to see how this thing starts going downhill rapidly. First, we're just kind of strolling about. We're not really giving any intent. It's casual, no purpose. And we're just opening ourselves up sometimes from the way things we do and the people we, we associate. And now, now we're kind of just a little bit away from being totally sold out to God. It says to stand. That means to stop, to be firm. See, now we're not strolling along anymore. Now we, we, we kind of, at the place it connotes, it connotes movement towards the formation of behaviors and patterns. You know, in step one, as we're just kind of sliding away, you know, we're just kind of walking casually and everything. We're not really thinking about it. But now, all of a sudden, we've stopped. And, and now we're really considering the viewpoint and the way of life of those who really don't want to honor God. It goes on to say, see, we're, we're considering, we're looking at a way, a course of action and, and from thinking now, like the godless, we begin to act like the godless. We begin to practice some of the same patterns and do some of the things, things that they do. We develop their behaviors. We develop some of their habits. We develop their patterns, their way of thinking, their way of making decisions on godless counsel rather than counsel that is based on the word of God, that is based on God's passion for us to experience the good life, a life of peace, a life of purpose, a life of prosperity, and a life of eternal hope. It says the way of sinners. You know, sinners, th this word in the original Hebrew is an archery term. And what it means is to miss the mark. And our bad archer, you know, instead of hitting the, the bullseye or hitting the target, all the arrow just goes off and, and careens off into some area and totally misses the target. So that's what it's talking about. So now what it's saying is now we've regressed into imitating the behaviors of those who have missed the mark. See, understand this about an unbelieving world. No matter how logical it sounds, and, and no matter how, from a human perspective, it fair it sounds, and, and that's where this, this 
idea of tolerance for every lifestyle and every belief and all that has such power is because in our human reasoning, we go, well, you know, that's right. That sounds right. You know, I shouldn't judge anybody else, and I shouldn't. And, and, and no, we shouldn't judge anybody, but we do have to stand for truth. See, now we, we are actually beginning to accept the behaviors, patterns of life of those who've missed the mark. They're way out of line when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to eternal judgment, when it comes to eternal rewards. We can stand in the way of sinners in our associations. You know, I, I marvel sometimes at talking to believers, and I say, well, you know, they're, they're really having a lot of struggles in their life, and, and their life is all upside down, and, and they're having a hard time making decisions. And, and I'll start talking about, well, who are your associations? Who are you hanging with? Who, who, who are your close friends? And, and all of a sudden, they start talking about people who have nothing to do with God, making work alliances with people who have nothing to do with, with living lives of integrity and, and, and godly responsibility. And in our associations, the people that we build close friends with, sometimes we're building those and ex almost exclusively those who we're hanging with and those who we're working with are people who have missed the mark. They have no idea about God. They have no idea about the consequences of some of the behaviors that they're practicing. See, very subtly, that's not, we didn't plan to be there. See, it all started when we were just kind of strolling through life, kind of looking around and considering this and considering this and tasting that and tasting this and, and, and no predisposition and no thoughts of wandering away from God. But now we, we've stopped all of a sudden. We're going, you know what? You know, what she says about that is right. That, that sounds right. And, you know, the, the, the way he's doing over here, well, he's doing pretty good in business. And, 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 and if I do the things that he's doing at the office, and then I'll do good in business too. You see how it's a sliding? And our behavior, stinking thinking sits in. I'll send the job say, well, I know that, that, that if I represent our product this way, it's not really totally honest, and I'm exaggerating the project, but, and, and, and I, I know, but, you know, everybody else is doing it. So, you know, and we start doing it too. Or what, you know, not, well, everybody fudges on their taxes, you know, I, you know, I won't declare this, or I'll do, you know, I'll, I'll exaggerate this. Everybody does that. You know, we start getting into stinking thinking. And, and nothing overtly, at least publicly, that, that would disgrace the name of God, but we just kind of, we're getting further and further away from the mark. And as we get further and further away from the mark, and we're actually participating, associating, and be, beginning to act like those who have actually missed the mark, then we begin to pull ourselves further and further away from that beautiful plan for God to prosper us and to give us hope in the future. Blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. See, Paul, again, in that same chapter of Ephesians, goes on to say in verse 18, they, speaking of the unredeemed, are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. See, those folks, are, they don't have it right. 
Now, they may be successful, and they may make more money than you, and, and they may seem to be living a life that is better than the life you're living as you're trying to live for God, but the truth of the matter is they are following a destructive life pattern. And in the end, as the psalmist says many times, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And yet, see, we, we, we start hitching our wagon with them. He finally says in the formula, he says, blessed is the man who's not walking the, the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of sinners. And he finally says, or sit in the seat of mockers. Sit means to dwell, means to reside. You know, first, you, you, you see the process? We're just kind of strolling along through life. We're, we're opening ourselves up to these influences. And all of a sudden, we stand, we stop. And now, we park we remain, we dwell. It's the idea that now we've moved in, we've settled in. We're comfortable and content living our lives by the pattern, by the philosophy of culture, by the philosophy of the world. We fit right in to all those who have missed the mark, all those who don't want to honor God with their lives or with their business or with anything else. And now we're just kind of right there with them and we're living with them. We're sit. We have embraced that life. Now, we might still be coming to church on Sunday. We might still be singing hymns. We might still be telling people how much we love Jesus. And we might be serving in ministries. And we might do all that kind of thing. But in reality, when we live Monday through Saturday, we're living camped out in a lifestyle that has been formulated and is fed by those who don't want to honor God and those who have missed the mark. See, it says in the seat... That's an assembly where many gather to sit and make deals or, or forge close relationships, the original Hebrew commentation. So it's not you know, just kind of a seat. It's talking about, about forming alliances and close friendships again. And, and now we're kind of with them. We're in it with them. We're doing the same business practices they are. We're going into the same businesses that may be unethical as they are. We're, we're kind of living the same kind of leisure life as they are. We are encamped with those who, in the foundation of their heart, have no influence of God, have no desire to have an influence of God. Now, they might not be horrible, overtly evil people. They're not criminals. But they've still missed the mark. See, and the idea is this in the Hebrew. When you sit in someone's seat, you act or become what they are. Now, on Sunday, we might be saying, oh, how I love Jesus. I surrender all, and majesty, and Monday through Saturday, we're living a whole different life. In our families, we might go home and, and we might put up the pretense of being a good godly grandma, God, godly grandfather, mom, dad, uncle, aunt, or whatever. But, but the reality is, when we're away from the family, we're embracing and we're living a whole different kind of life. And see, it all started with just a, a casual stroll. Because we really weren't dug in. We weren't really contemplating. We really had no life plan. We didn't have an agenda. We didn't have a purpose. We're just strolling through life. We've opened ourselves to influences. All of a sudden, one or two of those influences got us to stop on our tracks, and we're really considering them now. We're going over it, and then pretty soon, now we've started to make decisions out of that, and now we're, we, we stood with, with that kind of a lifestyle. Now we're, we're, we're entrenched. And it says, of mockers. And that the term is those who deride or ridicule, ridicule or scoff at God. 
refers to one who's actively engaged in putting down the things of God, putting down his word, putting down his commandments, putting down his guidelines, putting down his ways. That's blatant ridicule or rejection, and we all know people who blatantly reject God. We, we all know those who, who mock his name and mock his word and say, oh, you believe in the Bible, oh, you want, believe in God, you believe in prayer. And I know right now you're thinking, well, at least I, have, I haven't regressed to that point in my Christianity because I don't, I don't mock God. Well, I don't know. Do we? There's lots of different ways to mock God. There's a very blatant and open way to do it. But sometimes we mock God in, in our indifference. You know, we compartmentalize God and God, yeah, God is this part of my life. And, and God, we, we think and we rationalize in our mind. God, you have an important part of my life. But in reality, it's only one little part. And see, we get to be thinking, well, God, I don't have any more time to give you. And God, I don't have any more of my resources to give you. And God, I don't have any more of my talents to give you. I'm giving you a little bit, and that's all I can afford because I've got this, 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 and this, and this, and this. What we're really saying is I've got this God, 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 and there's you, God. You're over here. See, that's what's really going on. And it's been a very casual process. We didn't do it intentionally. We didn't do premeditatively. We didn't do any of that. We just kind of got to that place. We do it by substitution. We do it by substituting our own values, our own philosophy. I know what God says about that, but, you know, I, I think that's old-fashioned. And I, I don't think that pertains to modern times anymore. And, and times have changed, and what God said back then was for people back then because life was different back then. And, and now we start substituting our own philosophies, or worse, we start or substituting the philosophies of culture instead of following the precepts of God. It, it can be done by ignoring we can come, and as we often do every week, and we'll hear from God's Word, and we'll study God's Word together, and we'll say, boy, that makes sense, and that's the way it ought to be, but we don't do anything. We don't apply it to our lives. We live in the book of James where it says, do not be hearers of the Word only, and so deceive yourselves. It says, do what it says. And see, often we mock God because we don't do what it says. We listen, we, 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 we understand uh, in, in intellectually, but we don't apply God's principles to our lives. So he says, blessed is the man who's not walking the counsel or, or of the, the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. See, again, Paul says in Ephesians 4.19, he says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You know, a lot of folks sent me a in my birthday week, a lot of different uh, things, uh, little jokes and things like that. And one thing that my brother sent me was a, was a little video talking about, about the years I grew up, and the formative years. And, and I watched that video, and I was shocked to see what the standards of those days were. Back in the, 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 the late 50s and the early 60s, even in all the chaos of, of the anti-establishment days and all that kind of thing, of of where culture was and where mainstream people were thinking and how God was such an important part of that and how today we've continued, we've fallen this, see? We're getting further and further away as a culture and now we're not satisfied with that. Now we want hunger for more. See, there's an appetite that cannot be satisfied in, in an unredeemed heart. 
to experience more pleasure, to experience more lust, to experience more, more, more excitement or adventure in their life that is counterproductive to their own welfare. And basically, Paul and, and the psalmist are agreed from a New Testament perspective and an Old Testament perspective saying that should not characterize the lives of those who have a heart for God. Blessed. Overwhelming joy, overwhelming blessedness, overwhelming abundance comes to the person who doesn't get locked up in that regressive process. If we don't resist that regressive process, we cannot attain the good life. It's just not going to happen. God has an amazing plan for you. He has an amazing life for you. As we've talked about over the last several weeks, God has wired you. He has blessed you. He has given you talents. He has given you spiritual gifts. He's given you everything that you need to experience a life that is characterized by his overwhelming blessing. But he needs our cooperation. See? He just can't give it to us. We have to work together so that he can experience. So I hope you're not in this process today, but today was designed just to kind of give us a benchmark of where to start for so we know where to turn. If we don't know anything's wrong, we can't fix it, right? Maybe today you're, you're a believer who, you're looking at all this and you're saying, you know what, I'm not locked into that. Then right now, you just thank the Lord and you say, God, thank you that, that my eyes aren't blinded and thank you that we're walking together and thank you that, that I have your blessing in my life. Thank you, God. And many of you are like that here. But maybe there's, there, there's, there's one or two of you here who, who, who resonate with that, whole, that first step of that digressive progression. And, and you say, yeah, I am just kind of strolling through life. You know, I'm not really giving it a whole lot of thought. I'm, I'm not really giving uh, God especially attention. I'm not really reading his word. I'm not really praying. I'm, I'm not serving in a ministry anywhere. I'm just kind of strolling through life. And, and I'm, what, by just doing that, see, I'm already walking in the council of the wicked, of those who don't want to honor God. Why? Because when, when, when I'm walking around the mall or when I'm listening to, to, to radio, secular radio, I'm not hearing people encouraging me to follow Jesus. I'm not hearing people encouraging me to love the Lord. I'm not hearing people encourage me to be faithful in, in anything. I'm hearing the opposite message. I'm hearing live life to the fullest, do whatever you want. That's the good life, see? The exact opposite. So maybe that's you right now, and you're just kind of wandering around. That's well, a dangerous place because that's the first step of the slippery slope that will get us ultimately to the place where, although not overtly, but in our behavior, we're mocking God. Maybe you're a little bit more different. Maybe you were thrown on, but now, now something's captured your attention. You've kind of hooked on to something. And, and you're really considering, and now you're beginning to make decisions out of You're beginning to behave out of You're beginning to act out of philosophies and ways of life that are patterned by those who've missed the mark. They don't have it right. Understand that. It might sound right. It might feel right. It might look right. But it isn't right if it's contrary to what God says. Worse yet, maybe some of you had gone through both of those steps and 
today, as you've looked at this, and you give an honest evaluation of where you're at in your life and your relationship with God, you say, oh, my word, I'm camped out with these guys. I've made close alliances with them. I'm here today, I'm here, and I'm here because I love God, and I'm here because I came here to worship God today, and, and God does have a part of my life, but, but it's only a part, and, and the rest of my life is contrary. The rest of my life is a mockery to what God stands for, who God is, and what God has taught. Say, I don't know where you're at, but I want to remind you where he wants you to be. He wants you to be in a place where he can fulfill Jeremiah 29, 11 in your life. He, he wants you to understand. He wants you to wake up and he wants you to know that, that, that he has plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope, plans to give you a future that will not only count for this life, but that will count for the life to come. But, if we're in this destructive and this deadly progression of, of regression, that's not going to be our experience. Now, he's going to turn it around next week, and he's going to show us how to get back on path. So don't lose hope, and, and don't lose fact of, of the fact that God still loves you. If you're in stage one and you're just strolling around God and God sees that, God still loves you and he, he's right now, he's reaching out to you and saying, okay, you're not too far away. Let's, let, let's correct course right now before this gets ugly. Maybe you're in stage two and, and God's just saying, oh man, I'm starting to see some behaviors that really concern me. And none of this comes from a punishment thing. Uh, get that. In the, nowhere we say, God's saying, Carlton, you're in level two, buddy. I'm going to whack you up alongside the head if you don't quit it. It's not where he's at. He's saying, Carlton, danger, danger, man. You're, you're in trouble. You're starting to make decisions. You're starting to embrace behaviors that, that are dangerous to you and dangerous to those you love and, and dangerous to your relationship with me. You see what he's saying? And, and maybe, maybe you know, Leo, you're, you're in category three and, Man, at this point, you know, there's tears coming down God's eyes for you, man. He's saying, Leo, 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 you don't get it, man. You don't get it. You're, you're, you're going to destroy your family. You're going to destroy everything you love. You're going to destroy your integrity. Where are you at? Well, I know where God wants you to be and wants me to be. But if we're following this, we're in trouble. And we need to make a course correction. But God is standing right here today for every one of us, no matter what stage you're in, or if you are not in any of these stages. Right now, God's heart is a heart of love, and God's saying, I love you. Come on, let's make the corrections we need to make, and let's get back to the plan, because I want to prosper you, and I want to bless you, and I want to give you a life of hope and purpose. Let's bow our heads. Now, don't feel guilty now as you evaluate where you're at with the Lord. Don't feel guilty. Just feel enlightened. Ah, God, thank you. Thank you that through your word today, you've opened the scales of my eyes. I see where I'm at right now. Wow, I didn't see it coming. How did I let myself get to this place? So remember the psalmist, 
shows that pattern. And God, you have revealed and inspired him to write and give us this formula that shows how subtly we can turn aside from you. And little by little, we can be more and more entangled with those of the world, people, and philosophies of life, of those who have missed the mark, those who don't want to honor you, and sometimes even those who mock you and your word. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, those who have had an epiphany, those who have had a moment where the Holy Spirit has talked to them and said, that's you, that's where you're at right now. Lord, I pray that you will not allow Satan to fill their hearts and minds with a sense of guilt right now, because that's not where you're at, God. You're, 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 this isn't about punishment. This is about love. And God, you have lovingly allowed them to discover this so that they can make a course correction. And so, God, I pray right now for those who know that I'm praying for them, that right now they'll make that course correction. That they won't be stubborn, they won't be resistant, they, they won't camp out where they're at, but they'll say, yeah, God, that's me, it's me, i got to admit it to you, I, that's where I'm at. And God, I'm turning my life back to you right now. I rededicate my life to you. Lord, I pray for maybe a man or a woman here who has an even greater need, because they're in a greater danger. They're not just strolling through life possibly or Maybe they're not standing and paying attention to something that is contrary to your word. Father, they've never trusted Christ as their Savior. They have no hope. Lord, if they were to die right now in their sin, they would go out into eternity eternity separated for you for all time. But God, that's not your plan for them. Your plan is to love them and forgive them through Jesus Christ. If there's a man or a woman here today, a father who is still struggling with having assurance of where they're going to spend eternity, God, don't let them leave here with that struggle. Let them quietly after the service come up to me or one of the ushers or someone at the welcome center or the resource table and and just say, you know, I'm not sure where I'm going to go when I die. And Lord, we'll get with them and show them in your word how they can leave this campus knowing their sins are forgiven, they've been adopted into your family, and heaven will be their home. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for sometimes like today's lesson that, that, that is a wake-up call and it stings a little. But God, that's the first step of getting well. Now, Lord, I pray that we'll all be back next week as now we look at not the way not to do it, but the way to do it. The way that you say that will bring us that love and that protection and that fulfillment and that peace that you give. Lord, love us and bless us with your presence today. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Don't be that man. Don't be that woman.